Amen. If you have your Bibles, um, James chapter 1. I'm in a hurry to get things done. Oh, I rush and rush until life's no fun. All I got to do is live and die, but I'm in a hurry, and I don't know why. In 1992, Alabama put that song out there. It made it to the top of the charts um, in country music, and it's still heard a lot around the world and around our country. And, and Route 34, the corridor, every day, there are people who are getting up, rushing around, and they don't know why. They rush and rush and they don't know why. And James describes to us what the life of a Christian should look like. That's the whole point of the book of James. And maybe some of you are rushing around. You're waking up. You're going to work. You're busy. You're active. You're just rushing around in your, your life. You say you're a Christian, but something's not quite right. And James, the book of James, the whole reason it was written to is to Help Christians to know what the Christian life should look like now, in this life. What's real faith look like? The question we have to ask ourselves is, does our life match up? Does it look like what God's word says it should look like? James 18 through 27 says this. Of his own will he brought us forth. By the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Pure religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James starts out the book by addressing all the things that he's going to address in the rest of his letter. But he says there are some things that will be true. And the first thing he says is that Christians will have trials. You will suffer. That's what he says. He says, count it joy. The purpose of the trial is to strengthen your faith. So you can have joy in your spiritual progress, joy in your maturity. Your faith will be real. And faith is this. Faith is finding your satisfaction in Jesus Christ alone. That's where your heart is totally satisfied. Not rushing around just trying to grope and gather and collect and not really know why. What's it all for? That's not what we're called to do. Joy is possible, but we will go through trials. Christians will have trials. That's how he starts his letter. Then he says this. 
Christians will have temptations. Anytime you have a trial, there's always a temptation that comes along with it. Because Satan wants to use that temptation, that trial, to destroy the joy that you can have in your faith. And it's not God's fault when we are tempted. We can't blame God when we sin in the midst of our trials. When we take the trial, it's for our, to be for our good, for our joy and the strengthening of our faith. And we let our natural desires take over. We say, no, I'm not going to do it that way, God. I'm going to do it my way. That's Satan trying to steal your joy. In the Bible, basically, James, it says, is we are in a battle for our joy. Joy of faith. Because every day with Jesus is not sweeter than the day before. Every day is not better than the previous day. Some days with Jesus are very, very hard, aren't they? We struggle we like to maybe think that every day it's just going to be good and happy. It's not the way it is. That's not the reality that we live in. And James is writing to real people in a real world. And he says, this is how to live as a Christian in a real life. When every day isn't always better. Sometimes they're worse. And sometimes they even get worse and worse and worse. And so we are in a battle for our joy. Even David says this. He says, the word of God, though, is what will give us the victory. The, the word of God is what will help us restore our joy. Psalms 23, 2 says, He leads me beside still water. He restores my soul. So God understands that not every day is a good day. Sometimes we need to have our souls restored. There has to be some joy. We have to fight for that. We have to go after that. We need to do that the way God says for us to do that. The problem is when we go through hard times, our vision what we think God's doing, our vision and our walk gets very blurry. We don't see things very well. And sometimes it gets pretty black, doesn't it? You, you lose it. You start to think, is it ever going to turn around good? We need light for our path. Psalms 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Christians will have trials. And Christians, because of those trials, will be tempted. Satan wants to steal our joy. But a true Christian will have a relationship with the Word of God. And your relationship with the Word will determine your standing with God, it will determine your strength in the midst of your trials, and it will determine your success or your failure in your fight against sin. So this last part of chapter 1, James lays out this key emphasis of the Word of God. The Word. It's the Scriptures. It's the Bible. It's the Word of God. And God, He gives three things. He gives us a vision for your life. He gives a vision. God's vision is... God has a vision for your life. God's vision is realized as you express your, as, he, as it is exposed, as you expose yourself to the word. And God's vision for you from the word will bring freedom. Look at verse 18. God has a vision for your life. All that rushing you've been doing, all the stuff you've been struggling, all the fighting for your joy, wondering what's it all about, what was it for? 
There's a reason. God has a vision for your life. And he says this in verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. What that says is, is it's the word of God. That's the word of God that gives us the vision for our life. God's vision for your life is that you be born again. That's how you come into and knowing God's plan for your life. The first thing you have to do is be born again. You say, I've heard some people talk about being born again, these born-again fanatics, you know? What is a born-again fanatic? There is not a born-again fanatic as a type of Christian. There is only one way to be a Christian, The only one way to become a Christian is to be born again. If you've never been born again, the Bible says you are not a Christian because this is God's vision for your life. Of his own will, God decided this. Of his own will, it was God's will to bring you forth, to give birth to you if you're a Christian. By his word, have you be born again. In John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus just did not quite get Jesus. Nicodemus is going through his life. He's rushing around. He's trying to figure out how to live life, what he should be doing. And all of a sudden, this Jesus guy comes on the scene and starts talking about him in a way that Nicodemus has never heard before. And it grabs Nicodemus' curiosity. And so he has to go to Jesus at night because Nicodemus was supposed to know these things. He was a religious leader. He was supposed to have figured out how to work through this maze called life. But when Jesus came on the scene, everything changed for Nicodemus. And so Nicodemus goes to Jesus at night, and it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, He cannot see the kingdom of God. God's will for your life, God's vision for your life, is that you become born again. You're not a Christian unless you're... Some people like to see this vision that God has for us because God is a very good God. It would be very scary if the God we served was not a good God. If I told you God's got this vision for your life, but God is a monster... Um, he's an he's a evil transformer. And so his desire for your life is he's God, but it's not going to be That would be very scary. That's not the God that we serve. Because it says this, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. He, he says, know this at the end of this. And he says at the beginning of this, don't be deceived by this. Let me make it very clear to you the kind of God that we have. We have a God who is a giver of good gifts and a giver of perfect gifts. He never changes. And so this is the God who was out of his will that he says for you, be born again by the word, by the gospel. Jesus is the word, the Bible says. If you've never come to Jesus Christ, you say, I don't even know what it means to be born again. If you don't know what it means to be born again, there's a good chance you haven't been born again. But you like the vision You like the vision that God may have, and here's why. Because the vision that God has for people is very, very good. And there are people who come to church because they they sense that, wow, there's something good going on there. There's something different about those people 
that I don't have in my life. And so they come to church and they think, if I can just sit in church, well then I'm going to get this vision that God has for me and things will go well for me. That's not true. Just because you sit in church does not make you a Christian. Just because you sit in your living room doesn't make you a couch. The only way you become a Christian is to be born again, Jesus says. This is his vision for you. All the good stuff that he has for you is only going to be there for you if you are born again. And that's what James says. You must be born again. If you've never been born again, listen well today. Because Jesus says, this is what a Christian's life looks like. This is the vision that I have for you. And it all starts with being born again. Seeing Jesus for who he is. Seeing your sin for what it is. Confessing your sin and calling on Jesus Christ to save you and to rescue you from your sin and putting all your trust in him. But then James says that's one part of God's vision for your life is to be born again. Don't be deceived by that. The other thing that blurs our vision that God has for us is going about our life your way blurs God's vision for you. Look what it says in the rest of it, 19 through 21. It just talks about all these things that are going on with these people. And he's writing to people who are in the midst of struggles, midst of great economic struggles and isolation. And he's telling them, listen, this is what you've got to be. As a Christian, in the real world, you've got to be born again. You have to know the Word. You have to know Jesus and be part of His first fruits, His creatures who, who want to do God's will. The way you know you're a Christian is if you've asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and it's your heart's desire to do His will. If you say, yeah, I prayed this prayer that I would like Jesus, but I really don't want to do what Jesus wants me to do, it's a good sign you might not be born again. You might not be one of the first fruits of his creatures, because this is what a Christian would do. He would want to do God's will, but we don't always do it perfectly. And so when we go start doing our way, it blurs God's vision for our lives. He lists all these things that blur it. How you speak. He says, be slow to speak. Be quick to listen. Be slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of of God, the anger of man, all these things that we do. That's like the, we do all the opposite of those things, don't we? We're usually the very, the first thing we do is speak when something's not going our way. And we get angry really quickly. This deep-seated anger is what he's talking about. It just kind of continues to grow. He says, those are all ways that you're starting to try to get your life figured out your way. It's not going to work that way because all those things, they don't produce the righteousness of God. They don't produce the right way of God. They don't produce the will of God. Going about your life blurs this vision. It, it actually blinds the vision for some of you because you've never been born again. For some of us, it blurs it. If you've been born again, you're wondering why is life just rush and rush and no fun anymore? Here's why we struggle with that. Because he says, therefore, do this. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. The reason people don't want to be born again is because when we are born into this world, we are born absolutely naked, born into this world, physically. 
But spiritually, spiritually when we're born in this world, the Bible says we are born unbelievably clothed. We are clothed in wickedness. That's what he's talking about, filthiness, just like filthy, dirty clothes. We are born in this filthiness. So much so that it's just absolutely satisfying. You ever get your kids all dressed up to go out to the, uh, in the snow? You know, you get them all bundled up. They're all ready to go, and then they have to go to the bathroom. You're just like, come on. It's so much work to take everything back off again. This is why people reject Jesus, because we are born naked physically, but spiritually we are born with a sinful nature that is just filled with wickedness. And we think that we can just continually do this all on our own. There always seems to be something there for we can figure it out. You say, well, not everything I do is wicked. You're right, not everything you do is wicked. Some of the things I do are very moral. But if you're trusting in those very moral things to work out God's will for you, in God's eyes, it's extremely wicked because he sent his son to die for that. So we are just filled with these things. And that's why we struggle to do God's word. We constantly are told to put off these filthy clothes, put off these things that aren't right. And it's rampant wickedness, this corruption that's a part of us. If you are born again, there should be piles of clothes somewhere, piles of sin in your life that you're not going back to. If there's not a pile somewhere that used to be how you lived, that's a good sign you're not living out the vision that God has for you and you're not walking in God's way for you and you might not be born again. When I come into my house, my mom would tell you this, my wife would tell you this. If I come home and she's not there and grab something to eat, when she gets back, she always knows I'm there. Well, how do you do that? And she goes, because you got piles everywhere. You left this here and you left this there. Like, I can see that you were here. It's not pretty. <laughs> when uh, when we, we get back, we have these discussions. But if you are born again, if you are born again, there will and there should be piles somewhere where you have dropped off filthiness and sin and your morality and your goodness, and you're not going back to it. And people can look at your life and say, you know what? And you can look at your life and say, God's vision for me was to be born again. And here's how I know it is because that's what I used to be like. All this filthiness and rampant wickedness, and it's dropped off there, and I'm not going back to it. I'm not going there thinking, oh, I'll try this for a while. I'll try this for a while. You just, you're walking away and you're fighting against sin. If there's not piles of that in your life somewhere that you've dropped off, you're not living out the vision that God has for your life through his word. And he is, says that at the end. We're not even going to look at it this morning. Verse 27, he says, A true Christian will have this. A true Christian will have control of his tongue. He'll care for the helpless, and he'll be uncontaminated by the world. That's the life of a Christian. How do we get this? We have to see that giving God control clears the path for us, for God's vision for us. He says this, Therefore, put away all these things. Put away filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul which is able to save yourself which is able to save you we have to give god control we have to receive it with meekness we can't do this on our own this is something we have to get outside of ourselves that's what faith is 
We don't have the ability to do this. We are born so stuffed and so clothed with all this wickedness that we think in this pile of stuff on us, there might be something that will make me right with God. I'll just keep trying and trying and trying until I find the something that will give me the satisfaction that I want. And God says, no, you'll never find it. The only way you can get it is outside of you by faith. And faith is a gift that I give, but you have to receive it in meekness. You have to receive it in humility. You have to come to the end of yourself where you say, you know what, all this stuff, all this me trying to figure out my way to God's not working. So God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to acknowledge that even though I am filled and I am clothed with wickedness, I am naked before you. I have nothing to offer you. I'm just going to receive by faith what Jesus did for me. When that's, that's humbling. That goes against everything that our natural desires want us to do. We want to think that we can do it, that we can get to God on our own. We can't. We have to receive it humbly. That's God's vision for us, and it's his word. Receive the implanted word which is within you. If you're a Christian, this is what you have in you. This is why you should live this way. Because you have this in you. It's been given to you by God's grace through Jesus Christ. It's the implanted word that's in you. And as you drop all these things off and keep dropping these things off, you will know God's vision for your life. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. That's why it's a fight to know the word of God. God's vision, God has a vision for your life. But you have to give him control. All you really got to do is live and die is not the vision that God wants for your life. He has so much more for us. And as Christians, we can know this. And some of you know this. You do know this. When you hear about God's word, it's very satisfying to you when you read God's word. You love God's word. Where does that come from? It doesn't come from within inside you. It comes from outside of you. And God says that's what you need to do is unclog your ears is even the picture that that's talking about. Get the wax out of your ears and receive with meekness the implanted word. And it's the word that's able to save your souls. God's vision for you is realized as you expose yourself to his word. If you're feeling like, what is the point of all this? I'm, not, I'm struggling with my Christian life so much so that I'm thinking about abandoning the faith. I've tried church, I've sat in there, and I didn't feel the thing that other people seem to felt. Maybe you need to become born again, or maybe as a Christian, you need to go back to the pile that you dropped off before and stop drop and start dropping off more of the stuff that you picked up again. And ask God to humbly receive the word back into your life again. How do we do this? How do we receive this implanted word? He says it in verse 22 through 25. He says, but be doers of the word, which is the Bible. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. I can always tell when I'm talking to people who they tell me they're Christians and I'll try and bring up a a Bible verse or a a scripture or something about God and it's like, the whole conversation flatlines. So I'm a Christian. Well, are you reading your Bible? Are you, do you want to read the Bible together? No. Do you have any, it's like the Bible bounces off them. 
There's something wrong with that. That's not the way a Christian will live his life. A Christian will have a longing and a desire for the Word of God. It will be a part of you. And some of you feel that. That's because you're Christians. And if you don't feel that, you're not a Christian. Because God's Word is a part of us. And if you say, That's, it's a, I, I think I feel it. I think it's there. And receive with meekness the implanted word. Do this. Become a doer of the word, not just a hearer of it. How do you do that? He says this. You do it by looking intently. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. You want to know God's vision for your life? Then you start taking his word and you read it and you hear it and you study it, and you think about it, and you examine it, and you look at it, and you try to figure out what is it trying to say. Not everything in the Bible is easy to understand, but you keep going back at at it. You keep looking at it. A Christian has this desire. So you look intently at it, like a guy's looking at himself in a mirror who wants to do something about it. You look intently, you look realistically, because he says, for he looks at himself, this is the negative thing he does. He looks at himself and he goes away and once forgets what he was like. That's not realistic. Who does this? Who gets up in the morning, looks in the mirror, and walks away and does nothing with them? Who does that? Corey does that. That's the only person I know who does that, but he's got no hair. He can do that. The rest of us, we don't do that, do we? We get up, we look at the mirror, and we say, what needs to change? We're realistic about it. You have to do the same thing with God's word. You look at it intently, and then you look at it realistically and think, what needs to change? What does God need to change in my life? What am I going to let him do in my life to change me? You look at it realistically, and then you look at it productively because he says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, perseveres. You productively actually do something with it. You don't just look at it. You don't just try to fix things. You say, I'm going to keep changing this thing. I don't like this thing that's going on with my hair. So I'm going to just keep at it, and I'm not leaving this mirror, and I'm not leaving the Word of God till this thing in my life is changed. I'm just going to come back at it, come back at it, and let God do the work. I'm going to persevere in it. That's how God begins to change you, with His Word. But you've got to go all the way. Some of us don't do that. We are filled with all the recipes to do this. Some of you have the Bible on our phones. We got the Bible on CD. We got the Bible on tape. We got the Bible on a DVD. We got it all over the place. We would not do this with a good meal. If you had a good meal and you had the recipe written down and that's the way to do it, you wouldn't say, oh, that looks good. I think I'm going to go make that. And so I'm just going to gather all the recipe out there. I'm just going to sit there and look at it and think, wow, this meal's good. This is delicious. Look at the sugar. Mm, that's good. We don't do that. We would never do that with a good recipe, but we do that with God's word. We just will gather all the recipe. We'll gather all the ingredients, and we never let it do anything in our life. That's your, your, God's vision for your life is never going to re- be realized if you do that. We have to look intently into his word. We have to look realistically, and we have to look productively and persevere and let God's word change us. As a Christian, the vision of God is if you do that, I'll change you. If you do that, you'll become more like me, the Word, Jesus. That's what I want to do in your life. But God's vision also for your life, it brings freedom. That's what we want, isn't it? 
We want satisfaction, and we want to be free. But the way you become free as a Christian is submitting again back to God. Because he says this, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, that's freedom. If I look into God's word, that's how I'm going to be free. What that means is everything else that you are doing in your life to try to be free, to try to find satisfaction, to try to live any other reality other than God's word is not freeing. God designed the world. He created you out of his own will. And he said, listen, this is my plan for you. My vision for you is to know me. Be born again. Know the word. Know the gospel. Believe and trust in the gospel. And as you do that, Part of my plan for you is to know my word, study the Bible, read it, think about it, let it change you. And as you do that, the more you do that, the more free you will become. You say, well, that's law, the perfect law of liberty. I thought the law condemns because the Jews, they would have followed the Old Testament law and they would have had to do that because they recognized their sin, but they had to keep going back to offer the sacrifices. And I read in Romans chapter 7 where Paul says, you know, the, the good that I want to do, I don't do because there's this law against me. I find out what sin is and I, I, I want to covet, and so I don't want to covet. Well, then I hear that there's a law against coveting, so my natural desire is I'm going to go covet. How am I going to escape this law? That's where the freedom comes in with Jesus. Verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. There was only one person who could do this for us. There was one person who did the law. He actually loved the law. We don't love the law. We don't naturally love God's word. We don't actually desire God's word, but Jesus did. God loved us so much he sent Jesus. And Jesus says in Hebrews chapter 10, Verses 9 and 10. He says, then he, then he added, Jesus says, Behold, I have come to do your will. That's the law, the will of God. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We are free and can be free to love God's word. Not because we could do the law. Not because we could do the will of God. We would never be able to do the will of God on our own. But because Jesus came and did the will of God for us. He accomplished the will of God perfectly. He fulfilled the law. And then he went to the cross. And he said, you know what? I accomplished the law perfectly, but now I'm going to go to the cross for all of you who have not done that. And if you will turn to me and repent and see that I did it for you, you will then be able to do the will of God. You'll be free. You'll have the desire to do it. Now, on Monday, we went to the museum in Chicago. I'd never been to this museum before. And they had this display of slavery. And I'd never seen this before. But in America, in the 1840s, if a slave would run away, they would take this huge iron neck brace and they'd put it around their necks and it had three huge prongs sticking out like this. And they would leave 
them in there. And they were talking about the story of an 18-year-old girl whose vision for her life was more than slavery. And so she would run away quite often. And they keep catching her. And so they kept catching her. And they'd put this neck brace on her. It was a huge neck brace. And they had a picture, they have a, a, a replica of it. This neck brace, iron neck brace with these huge prongs over there. And they'd yank out her front tooth. In case she ever ran away again, they'd be able to recognize her. And she couldn't sleep. She couldn't walk away. She couldn't do anything. It was just toppling all over her head. She was not free. And some of you, when you think about studying and knowing the Word of God and sitting down and trying to understand it, you look at it like it's this neck brace on you. You think, it's too hard. It's boring. I don't understand it. I can't get anything out of it, so I'm just going to let it be that way. I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm not going to try to find God's vision for my life. I'm just going to put the neck brace on me. Don't do that. Because Jesus died for your sins. He paid the price for us so that we can know the law. And the law, God's word, is not a chain to us. It is our hope and our freedom. That's why we need to know God's word. That's what James is saying. He's saying don't run away from the law. Run to the law. It's not the law. It's not God's word that's got the problem. It's we that's got the problem. So we've got to persevere in God's word. Keep reading it. Keep studying it. Keep looking at it. Don't walk away from God's word because in it and only in God's word will you find freedom because as you do that, as you run to God's word and keep going after it even when it gets a little tough, keep studying it, keep asking you to open your eyes, free me for myself, show me what you have for me, then the word of God becomes like this, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold and much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. James says this is the way a Christian lives. It's somebody who studies and listens to God's word and doesn't look at it as this chain or race. There's something wrong with you, not God. Don't look at it that way. It is actually the thing that takes the neck brace off of you and lets you go and run away from the slavery of sin and have the vision for God that he has. So God's vision for your life is huge. And it's great because he's a good and unchanging God. So find it in God's word and fight for it. And you'll be able to defeat Satan, be able to defeat sin, and have victory. 1 John 2.14 says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the world. The way to overcome the world is to know God's word. That's the way a Christian lives. Do you love God's word? Are you in God's word? Have you given up on God's word? Are you born again? Ask God to open your eyes that he may show you wonderful things out of his word. It's freedom. It's not slavery. Let's pray.
Holy Father, God, I uh, just pray that you would open up your word to us, God. Help us to see Jesus Christ. God, if there's someone here who's never been born again, I pray that you'd wake up their heart to you. I pray that they confess their sin, turn their life over to you, help them to see you as the most satisfying. And God, I pray that you just give us grace to love your word more, to study your word, to be doers of your word and not just hearers of it. God, help us. In Jesus' name I pray. Bend our knees, oh Spirit, come make us humble. We turn our eyes from evil things, oh Lord, we cast down our idols. So give us clean hands and give us pure hearts. Let us not. Lift our souls to another And give us clean hands And give us pure hearts Let us not lift our souls to another Oh God, Oh God.